Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. Hey, so we're, we're in John chapter 17. If you want to turn there, we will be. Uh, and we've been talking about prayer. We've been talking seriously about prayer. We've not in a series as we've stated, but more in just joint conversations about prayer. I think, I don't think I know that God desires communion with us, that he desires to be in relationship with us. And when I say communion, I'm not talking about the elements of communion, although I would never minimize the elements of communion. They're significant. They're important. They, in fact, keep us in remembrance of the covenant that we have. I'm talking about communion is in relationship. We commune with God through prayer. And because God did everything God did for us, we should desire to be in relationship with him and have conversation with him. Amen? And so we've been talking very intently about prayer because I have come to understand over the last few years that everything hinges on Jesus and everything we have access to hinders on Jesus and prayer. This has to be a praying church or it's not a church. It's a social club. It's a place where we just hang out. You have to be not just prayers here. You have to be prayers at home. You have to be prayers in your workplace. You have to be prayers in your neighborhood. You have to be praying people all the time if you expect God's hand to move on your behalf. And I don't know about y'all, but that's what I'm praying. That's what I'm hoping for. I need God's hand to move on my behalf. People judge your front front of stage stuff. They ain't never seen behind your curtain. They don't know how crazy your life is. Let me tell you, my, my behind the curtain craziness is crazy. And the only reason I can function from day to day is because God moves on my behalf. I am convinced of this. That through prayer, he meets my needs. That through prayer, he does all the things that only him as omnipresent, omnipotent, all the things that he is can accomplish in my life through prayer. We need to be a people of prayer. Am I, am I saying that enough? And so I started talking about prayer. Rick and Pastor Rick and I started talking about prayer. We've been talking about prayer forever. Um, Pastor Leonard, God love him. Is patient with a young man who comes by my office every now and then. Just so y'all know, Pastor Leonard comes by my office sometimes. Just pray for me and leave. That's, that's I like that. I mean, don't everybody do it on Tuesday or something. I got stuff I got to do too, but I like that because everything moves in prayer. Amen. We've said it before that prayer is the nerve that moves the omnipotent hand of God. If I want God to move on my behalf, I have to be in relationship with him. And I've never been in relationship with someone that was healthy that we didn't talk. So we've been talking about prayer. And we started with the shortest prayer, which is Lord save me, a three-word prayer prayed by Peter when he was drowning after he stepped out of the boat onto the water to describe to explain that prayer doesn't have to be articulate. Prayer doesn't have to be lengthy. It doesn't have to be fancy. 
Sometimes it just has to be intentional, but at the same time, relational. From there, we talked about, we moved from the shortest prayer to what it means to be led in our spirit to pray because all of us have prayed a prayer that we prayed and felt like it hit the ceiling and then back down in our lap. Like we struggled in our flesh to pray and wonder why we're not accomplishing anything, why nothing's moving forward, why we seem to be in a stagnant place. Sometimes that's just because we haven't trusted the Spirit to lead our prayers. We haven't submitted ourselves, asking the Holy Spirit to lead our prayers. And we talked about how, how to do that. And then from there, we started talking about intercessory prayer last week out of John chapter 17. And the reason I decided to use 17, or I believe God told me to use 17, is because this is Jesus's intercessory prayer to God on behalf of his disciples. That's his disciples that were, that have been since them and us, us and the disciples that will be after us. So all disciples in all times, Jesus was making intercession on their behalf. <clears throat> and so he's, he's praying for them. And I want us to know that we should pray in the same way. To intercede in prayer literally just means to move on someone's behalf, to stand in the gap, to intervene for them. There are times when we need people to intervene on our behalf. The Bible is pretty clear. If they're sick amongst you, gather the elders. Amen? Have them pray over you. You guys should be praying over each other, even if you're not technically an elder in the church, because prayer is what we do. We believe in the same God with the same power according to the same word, unified in one spirit by the same Jesus. We should be all people of prayer. And so we talked just, I told you there was four things that Jesus prayed in John 17 for the disciples. And we were only able to cover two of them last week. And those two things were protection and sanctification. Before we had that lesson, we talked about the thesis statement. Everybody know what a thesis statement is? It's the one statement that summarizes why somebody's saying something in the first place. If I'm going to write a book, I'm going to have a, a big idea, a main idea. If I'm going to write a paper, I'm going to have a main idea. If I'm going to preach, I'm going to have a main idea. Whatever I'm doing, I'm going to have a main idea. If there's one thing I want you to walk away from, this is it. That's your thesis statement. And Jesus said, what I'm about to say, I say for one reason. This is my big idea. In chapter 13, he says, but now I come to you. That's God the Father, because that's who he's praying to. And these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Let me tell you, this prayer is not going to make any sense if you don't understand this main thing. Jesus is praying, standing in the gap for us so that our joy may be made full. You want to know why we pray for each other in intercessory prayer? So that others' joy in Christ Jesus may be full. Amen? Because we are to reflect Christ Jesus. If he's praying for that purpose, that should be the reason why we pray for other people too. First, like we talked about last week, for their protection and finally for their sanctification. And we talked about how that sanctification 
That protection is all-consuming, all-powerful. We serve a God that is a strong tower, capable above all things, the Alpha and the Omega, the creator of the universe, the greatest power in all the universe because you have to be the greatest power to create any other lesser power, and every power is lesser than his power. Amen? And so people say, man, I'm freaked out by such and such. Why? You serve the most powerful being in all of the universe. Who can, who can do anything to you? you? You belong to God. If God is for us, who can be opposed to us? And so Jesus prays for their protection. And when I walk in that protection, when I walk in that knowing that the almighty Savior God, creator of the universe, that is omnipotent, that is omniscient, that does stand over all things, has a tr transcendent view of me, watches over me and protects me, how could I be anything but joyful? That's why... Philippians 4, 4 says, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice for the Lord is near. I can rejoice because I know the Lord's near. And when the Lord's near, I'm protected. But that's not it. That's not the only thing he prayed for. He prayed for their sanctification. Now, that's a big fancy word. But essentially, it means for their salvation. So that they might be made holy and that they might be made more holy and more holy and more holy because there's two types of sanctification as we discussed last week. And I know I'm reviewing last week's lesson, but it's important. There's the positional sanctification, positional holiness that comes to you when you declare Jesus Christ is Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you shall be saved. That is positional sanctification. You belong to God. You are in the righteous right hand of the creator. Amen? And you, you become an heir of Christ and have the authority and the rights as an heir according to that testimony. But that's positional there is still a progressive sanctification that needs to happen. And Jesus prays for that progressional sanctification also, that we move from Christ-like to more Christ-like to more Christ-like to more Christ-like to a perfection that many of us won't see, most of it, none of us will see until we see Jesus. And we're going to talk about that in a little while. But these are the things he prayed for first. So if I know that I know that God protects me, I should, I should, that should create joy in me. If I know that I'm positionally and progressively sanctified to be more Christ-like, that should bring joy to me because that means I get to spend eternity with my God. Amen? So what else does he pray for? He prays that the church be unified. And when I say the church, I mean the disciples because the disciples are the church. But don't tell me that you're the church, so you don't have to go to church. It's a lie straight out of the pit of hell. We're going to talk about that in a minute. That we be unified and we be glorified. First things first. Let me read this text. 20 through 26 reads like this, which is where we got to last week in John 17. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. And there's going to be a lot of this back and forth. Just go with it. Try to follow it if you can. If not, we're going to talk about it. Even as you may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 22, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, 
that they may be one just as we are one. That's that positional glorification. Glorification is another word for sanctification. He said, I and them and you and me and they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And those... And these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Amen. I guess that's a lot of back and forth. He and I and me and you and us and we and all of that. But let's, let's talk about what that means. In verse 20 through 23, he's saying, unify them. The world's, the world's not unified. Our very sin nature disunifies us from God. You understand that, right? That, that we've been separated from Christ because the sin in us. And so there's this state in us, both by action and by birth, by which we've been disunified from the life of God. But that doesn't keep us from desiring unification. There is also something innate in us that desires to belong. And people strive their whole lives not recognizing the thing that they're trying to fill this hole, this emptiness with, not realizing that that's God, try to fill it with all the other stuff. They want to be unified with something. Everybody wants to be unified to something. It's the reason why people wear football jerseys of a team they've never belonged to because they want to be part of people who like this football team. It's the reason why people pull for their colleges even after they leave their college. It's the reason why kids play baseball. It's the reason why people do Boy Scouts. It's the reason why we tribalize ourselves according to our personal preferences and create unities within relationships that may not be godly within those circles because the world desires to be unified. The problem is the church hasn't shown them how to belong and become unified to something of purpose. I spent my whole life before I came to know Jesus identifying myself and unifying myself with law enforcement. Law enforcement was my whole life. But it didn't do anything for me. It didn't accomplish anything for me. The only unity that can accomplish anything for me, that it can accomplish anything for you, whatever it is you hold yourself tribalized to, is Christ Jesus. Amen? So here's the truth. The unity, this unity that Jesus is praying for, happens as we learn and teach the truth to other people. This verse, verse 20 says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through what? Their word. Man, that's a big deal. I need you to pay attention to that. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. I'm not praying just on behalf of these disciples that are standing before me right now. Instead, for those who believe in me through these disciples' words. So 
we create unity as we recognize that we have to declare the truth. Unity happens in the declaration of the truth. We become one in Christ as we declare the truth. What is that truth? Well, let me, I'll get to that in just a second. We have to set our minds to absorbing hearing, asking the Spirit to direct our conversations so that other people might know God. Can I tell you that 50 years from now, I'll be dead. Most people won't remember my name, but this is what I hope. I hope that I taught the Word of God so truthfully that for four generations, people adhere to the, the truth of the message of the word of God because of what they heard me say. This is what Paul says in regard to Timothy. He says, all things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's four generations. Paul taught Timothy. Timothy taught other men who were faithful to teach other men also. We have to first identify the fact that our message is important enough to pull out of our mouth and teach in such a way that it will still exist as though we taught it four generations after we're gone. Because Paul was about to die. Amen? I was talking to a young man the other day. He's talking about accumulating stuff and what he wanted out of life and all that. And I told him, I said, listen, the older you get, the less that's going to be important. The older you get, the more you're going to realize it's not what you have, it's what you leave. And the only thing of significance we can leave is the truth regarding the Word of God. Amen. So unity happens as we learn and teach this truth to create generational change. You want to know how to change the country? You want to know how to change the state of the church, the state of the world? Declare the truth. What truth? There's only one truth worth declaring. Christ and him crucified. One person heard it. Christ and him crucified. We have no other message of importance. I can sit up here and talk to you all day about all kinds of stuff that's not going to change your eternity for, for, for anything. It's not going to leave anything behind. It's not going to create a legacy that, about it. It's not going to provide for you. The only thing that can provide for you is Christ and him crucified. You're all, but I, I provide for myself. You don't provide for yourself. God provided for you through the message of Christ and him crucified. Isn't that awesome? It is awesome. Let me explain to you why that is. Because if Christ is the message, we have to understand what that message is. Christ and him crucified means that you are dying and going to a sinner's hell. This according to the word of God. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You guys have heard me say this a thousand times. Quite honestly, it's the only message that I have. But God, while we were still sinners, sent his son Jesus to die for us. You know why? Because he loves us. And through sending his son Jesus, Jesus was born, lived a perfect life so he could be a perfect sacrifice because a sacrifice had to be made because according to the just word of God, death had to happen for sin 
blood had to be shed because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin according to the word of God. That blood had to be perfect according to the sacrificial system under the new covenant by the bloodshed of Jesus Christ. He became the substitution for us on the cross. He took the beating we should have taken. He took the stripes we should have taken. He took the crown of thorns that we should have taken. But you know what else he took? He also substituted himself and absorbed the wrath of God for us. We are no longer under the wrath of God if we've accepted Christ and him crucified. Man, that ought to bring us some joy. Do you have some joy about that? That it's not anything that I did, it's what Christ did, that he paid my debt for sin, which of course is death. All of us hear this verse, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. And people just stop right there because we love to preach the negative. Don't we? People are, hey, you're going to hell. We love to preach the negative. Do you know there's another two-thirds of that verse that reads like this? But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're unified in the message, and the only message that can unify us is the message of Christ. And in the message of Christ, we become one. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. There is no addict versus not addicted. There is no skin color. There's no how much money do you make that separates us. Nothing separates us because we are individual members. We become family to one another. According to this text, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Oh, man, I can't talk to him. He doesn't look like me. You better talk to him. He doesn't look like you. But I guarantee you, when you see Jesus, he don't look like you either. He's got a little darker skin tone than I got. I can't talk to him. Jesus probably wasn't a white Caucasian. Y'all better get it right. Amen? I love, man, my grandmother had it. Everybody's grandmama had it. Had the Caucasian Jesus you know, with the very sharp Roman nose and all of that, curly blonde hair or whatever. It's not likely that Jesus you're going to see. But it doesn't matter because we're all unified in Christ Jesus. If you don't like a certain kind of people or want to be unified with a certain class of people, you're going to hate heaven. Because you're going to be surrounded by people you don't you don't even understand. Well, I believe you'll understand them then, but that you'll never comprehend on this earth. We are all one, unified in Christ Jesus. This is what Jesus is praying for. Let them be unified, not just spiritually, but physically. Which means we should love one another. We should treat each other as family. Oh, man, you use the word family a lot because I think that's what we should be. Do I fall short of that sometimes? I probably do. I'm sure I've hurt some of y'all's feelings. I didn't call when you thought I should call. I didn't show up when you thought I should show up, but I'm trying. 
if you got a problem, just come tell me. We'll go out in the front yard like cousins and wrestle it out. Come back in here and work, work through it. But we're family. We need to act like family. And family should gather sometimes in the same house. I told you, people say, I, I'm Christian. That don't mean I got to go to church. No, it does mean you have to go to church because you have to be obedient to call yourself a Christian because according to John, they will, that our obedience marks us as belonging to God. And there are 59, everybody say 59. 59 one another statements in scripture. Did you know that? Love one another, encourage one another, pray for one another. 59 one another's in scripture. You know what's impossible to do? It's impossible to do that and never be in the same room with the people because you're never going to know what their need is. We have to love each other beyond our preferences, beyond the things that irritate us. Y'all get on my nerves sometimes. Did y'all know that? But that's all right. I'm sure I get on y'all's nerves too. But it doesn't matter because in Christ, in him crucified, we are one. We belong to one another. We should be able to work these things out. Amen? It's not just a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing that works itself out as a physical thing. Romans 12, 5, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. Corinthians, Paul talks about how some of you are feet, some of you are fingers, some of you are eyes, some of you are legs and torso. Some of you guys are a nose. He doesn't use all that, but he says every part of the body. Could you imagine me walking up here without an arm? I think you'd notice. Right? Do you know why God gave me two arms? Because I need two arms to function properly. Do you know why you exist in the church? Because God needed you in the church to, for the church to function properly. We have to be unified. We have to love one another, encourage one another, and be family. There are times when people call me out of the blue and just pray for me. I had a guy call me this morning. I woke up. Y'all ever just wake up fussy? I do sometimes. I did this morning. And out of the blue, a brother just called me and said, hey, or texted me and said, hey, I'm praying for you that God give you a peace beyond comprehension. I said, I, God, I hear you. There's a family in this church, I won't name them, whose air conditioner went out in 100-degree heat this week because they're part of our family. Our family went and fixed their air conditioning unit because they have small children in their home and they don't, they don't need to be in 100-degree heat with small children. That's family. That's why you give. Amen? I feel like I'm beating this up, but it's important. Unity is so important. In Christ Jesus, in this unified state, we are one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, according to Ephesians 4.4. 4. I think probably what Paul's saying there is that we're just one people. Let's act like one people. But we're one people for a purpose. Verse 23 says this, I in them and you in me that they may be perfected in unity. 
Man, that's so good. I and them, Jesus is in his disciples. God is in Jesus so that they may be perfected in unity. He's saying, listen, I want them to be unified as we're unified. God is in perfect unity. He wants us to be in perfect unity. For what purpose though? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved them. Your love, our love, our unity should be a declaration of God's love to the people around us. Did you hear the verse? I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that, because the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. What is your unity showing to a world that's looking for something to belong to? I started this thing by talking about everybody's wanting to be part of something. World's upside down right now is because we're not showing them we're not showing them to the degree that we're able to what that something should look like. We're the something that that should look like. The church is failing and decreasing in population in the United States. That is a statistical fact because we're more concerned about how we dress, how we talk, what we look like, whether you have tattoos, how much money you have, all of these kinds of things, than we are with demonstrating the unity and the love that God has for us to the people who don't know what that is. And when we do that, people are gonna say, what is it about you? Y'all ever been around somebody like that? You look at them and they're always joyful, they're always happy, you can't do nothing to make them fussy. Or if you do, they, you'll never know it. Don't you just want to go up and say, what's your deal? Right? Because it makes you mad sometimes. Man, what's your deal? They look at you and say, man, Jesus loves me. That's your gospel conversation opportunity. Man, I'm like this because Jesus loves me. Because Jesus intercedes on my behalf that I be protected no matter what's going on, that I be saved, kept, and continue to be perfected, that I walk in unity. That's why I'm never fussy because I know the God I serve. I can introduce you to him if you'd like me to. I would love to introduce you to him if you'd like me to. That's what unity's purpose is. That's so good. But he prayed for something else, too. He prayed for our glorification. 24 through 26. It reads like this. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am. He wasn't talking about right then because they were already with him right then. He's talking about that they be with me where I am, where I am going. He knew what he was about to endure so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. 
Jesus saying, I want these people to be with me so that they can see truly who I am, so that they can see the glory that I have, the glory that you gave me for fulfilling this purpose that you gave me. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. In verse 22, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them. That's past tense. They had already confessed the name of Jesus, declared him as Lord, believed that he was Lord. And they had received the present glory, that perfecting present glory. There's a perfecting present glory. Did you know that? But that's not primarily what Jesus is talking about in this text. He's talking about, God, I want their joy to be complete so that because they know that they're going to be with me in heaven for always. This is, this is what he says. Colossians 1 th or 3, 1 through 6. Let me turn to it real quick. One, three through six. Is that right? Yeah. Three, one through six. I'm sorry. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Raised up with Christ, if you've given your life to the Lord, keep seeking the things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. You know what he's doing at the right hand of God? He's making intercession on your behalf. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Remember, you're in it, not of it. When Christ, who is our life and our promise of life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. So essentially after that, he says, so put your old self aside. Jesus wanted us to be glorified so we could spend eternity with him. And I think that's beautiful. How do we do it? Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our joy is made full because we know and it doesn't matter what happens to us. And listen to me, I'm not talking preacher talk. No matter what happens to us, if you're burned at the stake, skinned alive, doesn't matter what happens to you. If you've confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you will be in a glorified state, seeing God in all of his glory for all of eternity. That's a promise made by Scripture, and that's beautiful. That's, that's what I'm living for. I'm living to die. And Jesus knew that if I prayed for these people, that their joy be made full, That'll happen. God, God, what he needs to be is very succinct. He says, so, so that their joy be full, I pray they know how protected they are. 
I pray they know that I've done all the work necessary for their sanctification and continued sanctification. I pray that they be unified so that the love in them might show. And I pray that they ultimately be glorified in an eternity with me. And if Jesus prayed that prayer for us, and our job, if we're to call ourselves Christians, is to walk as Christ walked, we should be praying that prayer for other people. How many of you guys know someone who you would, you would look at and you'd say, I know their joy is incomplete. Sometimes I'm that guy. If you can recognize that in someone, I encourage you, pray the prayer Jesus prayed on their behalf. Stand into that gap. And go, in the name of Jesus, by the example of Jesus, by the work of Jesus, I pray, God the Father, that you protect them, that you save them, or you continue to grow them if they're already saved, that you unify them with one mind and one purpose by your spirit, and that ultimately that they might see you in all of eternity so their joy and my joy be made complete. Wouldn't that be a beautiful prayer to pray over some kids that aren't saved? Some lost loved ones that aren't saved? I praise God that his, his motivation for praying for us is that our joy be full. Let's pray.